Previously on the storyteller Naked Villainy, a tiny piece of evidence found at the murder scene with potentially huge significance. A tiny piece of paint which looked identical. The Crown tries to establish a definitive link. Could that be explained if someone climbed through that window? Absolutely. And the defence challenged the reliability of forensic evidence. How did you avoid cross-contamination between entering 12 Mile End Place and entering the car? Well, those two things are connected. In what way? The house and the car are linked. It's taken 45 years to bring a killer to court. And for the first time in UK history, you'll hear the full murder trial and witness justice being done. It was a brutal murder of a brilliant woman who was a rising star in genetic research. It would now be almost like a script from Morse. The investigators swarming over the, the dreaming spires of university land. There was kind of palpable feeling of evil in the air. I was told it was just a massive blood in here. Two decades on from confronting evil. So did you kill your ex-wife Brenda Page? Evil is being confronted by the law. Did you kill her? No. She knew it was coming. He said he was going to kill her. If he killed her, he would do it so that nobody would know. Will his true nature be unmasked? Are you familiar with the tale of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde? And can Brenda's own words help secure her killer's fate? A letter of a death foretold. This is the storyteller, Naked Villainy, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. Without a break and the tension still lingering in the air from the heated cross-examination of the previous witness, forensic scientist Eric Jensen, serving Detective Constable Thomas Gorman was called to the witness stand. We were about to hear from the officer who was involved in arresting and charging Kit Harrison, bringing about the court case we were witnessing. DC Gorman is 45, tall and fit. You'll soon learn his physical build came in use for an experiment. At seven in the morning of Tuesday, the 17th of March, 2020, uh, were you on duty? I was, yes. And on that occasion, were you provided with a briefing by Detective Inspector Winter? I was, yes. What was that briefing in connection with? It was in relation to the day's activities at uh, 12 Mile In Place and the arrest of Mr. Harson. Did you... Uh, know that there had been a reinvestigation into the circumstances surrounding the death of Brenda Page. Yes, I did. Did you form part of the inquiry team looking into those circumstances? Yes, I was part of the inquiry team into that. And overall, was it's a fairly large undertaking of reviewing existing evidence and looking to see what further opportunities there might be for new evidence. That's correct, yes. The briefing on Tuesday 17th March 2020 was that to update you as to what uh, further steps the police were going to take? It was, yes. We were made aware of a, a warrant that was to be executed at the address of Mr Harrison's. Right. And what was that address? 12 Mile Down Place, Aberdeen. 
did you attend at 12 Mile End Place, Aberdeen, that day? I did, yes. What time was that? It was around 5 to 8 in the morning. Were there a number of police officers in attendance? Yes, there was um, possibly half a dozen of my colleagues um, and other officers. Describe what happened at the home of Mr Harrison. We attended there in the morning uh, around 5 to 8. It's a quiet residential area of Aberdeen. We had our warrant with us. We knocked at the door. Um, I remember we were there for quite some time, knocking on the door, banging on the window. I think we were possibly there for 15 minutes. And eventually we had to call for support to force entry to the address. Did you find anyone inside? Yes, I did. Who was that? Uh, that man there, Mr. Harrison. You've indicated to the man in the dock. Yes, is that Thank you. What was said to him at that point? He was made aware of the existence of a warrant uh, for the address and why we, why we were there, uh, and that he was to be arrested in relation to the death of Brenda Page. Was he cautioned? He was, yes. It, again, is probably self-evident, but please explain what the caution is and what was said and what the purpose is. The caution is uh, for Mr Harrison that he knows that he doesn't have to say anything, uh, but if he does, it, it may be recorded and may be used in evidence at a later date. And he was advised of that. Did he make any reply? Uh, no. Was he conveyed to a police office? Yes, he was conveyed to Kitty Brewster Custody Suite in Aberdeen. At a later stage that day, uh, was Mr Harrison interviewed by Detective Constable Rennie and yourself? That's correct, yes. And was that process filmed? It was recorded, yes, digitally recorded. Uh, I'm going to move on to something else at the moment. Um, as part of the inquiry, were you engaged in taking evidence from individuals? I was, yes. Did that include uh, someone called Dennis Burt? That's correct. I saw Mr Burt, yes. And did you understand that Dennis Burt had been the husband of Anne Burt? That's correct. And do you know that since you met with him, he has sadly passed away? Yes, I was made aware of that. Did you see him on the 23rd of June 2020? That's correct. What was the purpose of seeing him on that occasion? It was to go over uh, previous statements, uh, read them back to him, and just ask him if there was anything else he wished to, wished to add in, in another statement. And was this fairly typical of the type of work which had been done in this inquiry? Yes, we we done a, a lot of similar type yeah. statements. When you meet with, or when you met with individuals, did you explain firstly the purpose and seek a, what might be termed a free recall from the witness? That's correct, yes. And why, why did you do it that way? It's what is best practice, um, you know, without any leading from me or anything like that, just uh, so it's first-hand, if you like, without yeah. any sort of leading, if you like. And then is that information then put into a statement? It is, yes. And then 
either the witness allowed to read it or it's read back. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Okay. Now, I'm going to play, which I have on the computer, which is label 106. If we could put the screen on, please. Time is uh, 0910 hours on the 23rd of June 2020. I'm Detective Constable Gorman. This other officer present is Detective Constable Jack. We are both of the major investigation team based at Queen Street in Aberdeen. Uh, we're meantime at Queen Street in Aberdeen with uh, Dennis Burt in relation to Operation Clardy, the murder of Dr. Brenda Page. This was the first time we'd heard the name of the operation. Operation Clarity. I'm going to miss out them going through his personal details and the long pauses when the DC is handwriting each answer and reading the section back. In case you need reminding, Dennis was Brenda's upstairs neighbour whose wife Anne gave evidence early in the trial. She was the one who heard Kit pleading to be let into Brenda's flat the night before. I'll start with uh, the last time we saw her. In the early evening, maybe about seven o'clock-ish, of that, of the 13th, that would be with the wife and I. Uh, Did you say it was about seven o'clock? About seven o'clock-ish, plus or minus half an hour, I would think. But yes, and we, we, were going, we were going out and we saw Brenda in the garden. Mm -hmm. I would just, you know, hello and cheerio. So just, just a hello and cheerio. I think my wife might have spoken to her, but a bit more. It might have been in the hallway, I can't remember if it was the hallway or the garden. But, yeah. And uh, we were going out to meet some friends and we uh, returned back to the house about 11.30. Mm -hmm. Now at that time it was an absolutely beautiful night, clear, clear, clear sky. And I've got a wee interest in looking at the stars. And uh, I went up into my own flat and grabbed my binoculars. And I went out into the middle of the back yard. I uh, stayed there 10, 15 minutes, maybe maybe slightly longer. Mm -hmm. As I was walking back into the back door, towards, towards, the, back, towards the back door, back towards the rear entrance, I could see a shadow. Of someone at the edge of the door, at the edge of the window, it was quite a small light, like a nightlight type, and I could see sort of half well, shape. I could see a shadow or someone at the edge of the at window. the edge of the window behind the Venetian blind, uh, and it was sort of just half a body I could see. I assumed it was Brenda. Um, had heard me out the back. I, I had heard me out the back and was checking. I'm, I'm sure she had told us she was going out that night during the converse, conversation and I assumed she was home. She had previously discussed her going out entertaining people with me before she started doing it on business meetings. Well, she was meeting up with business people, making up parties. Before she started doing it? Before she started doing it, yes, and asked me what my thoughts were on it. That would be maybe a couple, two or three months before then. Would she be safe or whatever? You know, it's, uh, is it the type of thing that she should be doing? Uh, and we, we mutually agreed it wouldn't do any harm. Yeah, I don't think she was doing anything that was out of place. I don't know if this is relevant, but at, at that time she was, she was pretty hard up. And um, 
it was a means of getting out and enjoying a nice meal mm-hmm. and meeting interesting people. Other than that, that that's about it because we'd, uh, uh, my uh, my bedroom is in the front of the house, mm-hmm. and obviously our bedrooms are out the, beyond the the tenement itself, mm-hmm. and obviously we, we we didn't hear a sound during that night, um, and that's basically it. Same. Yeah, uh, my uh, my wife's got quite a lot to hide about the night before and things like that. I was away at the open golf that day, um, and sh- she heard the suspect uh, at the house that night. But that, I, I wasn't involved with that at all, so I can't discuss that. DC Gorman explained he read the statement back to Mr. Bird. They then moved on to an experiment they conducted in the run-up to Kit Harrison's arrest. A quick interruption from the courtroom to tell you about our new sponsor, and this is something I'm personally a fan of. Those of you who know me know that I like to look after my health, but I'm also quite busy, so I need something that's simple and fast that ensures my body is getting all the goodness it needs. So I've been starting my day with AG1. It's a simple and actually nice tasting supplement that I mix with water and drink first thing for maximum absorption. Just one scoop, once a day, one glass of water, all in a minute. AG1 is designed by scientists. It's a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 high-quality ingredients. So it has all the essential vitamins, minerals, whole food source nutrients and more in a single scoop that takes seconds to mix each morning. And it helps support your brain, heart, energy and immune system. It's also good for stress and mood balance, and don't we all need that? And also healthy ageing by supporting cellular metabolism and health of the skin, brain and heart. What I really like about it is it's an effortless daily habit, and I'm giving my body the best chance, especially at this time of year. AG1 supports your body's needs to make healthy habits so easy for you, and I want to share the goodness with you listeners. So if you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. They are handy little sachets, which I chuck in my suitcase whenever I'm on the move, so there's no excuses. Go to drinkag1.com slash thestoryteller. That's drinkag1.com slash the storyteller. Check it out and take your first steps to improving your health. Now let's return to the courtroom. As part of the inquiry, did you assist in looking at a, a window and determining whether it would be possible to enter the window? That's correct, yes. Tell us about that, please. The window was created from the exact uh, dimensions of Allen Street, uh, the window there. Uh, and we, we got a built. And just so we're clear, do you mean the, the, the 13 Allen Street? 13 the Allen Street, the, the Brenda Page. The, yes, the, the window was reconstructed, if you like, made again uh, to the exact dimensions. Uh, taken two condor barks on our booth, um, mounted, and I, I climbed through the window. And the window that you're referring to, what was it to replicate? Um, the, the exact window that we believe Mr. Harrison uh, gained entry to at Allen Street. Well, well, the window where entry appeared to have been gained yes, by yes. someone. Is that right? Okay. Uh, and when was this? This was 
I believe, August 2019. And what was proposed to be done? It, like I say, it was mounted, um, and my colleague uh, videoed it. Uh, we took a few attempts to try and get through the window. It wasn't the exact sort of, you know, reconstruction, if you like. It was mounted. It wasn't climbing through a, a window, but, um, yeah. What, what was the purpose of this exercise? Just, I mean, I, I'm similar, I believe similar height to Mr. Harris, and so it was to, I guess, show other people that it was possible to, to, to get through the window. Okay. And as you said, this, this exercise was filmed, is that right? It was, yes. Time is 11.07 hours on Monday, 19th of August, 2019. My name is Detective Sergeant Nick Searle. This other officer present is Detective Constable Thomas Gorman, both of the Police Scotland Major Investigation Team. At this time, we are within Condor Barracks, are both for the purpose of a reenactment of the suspected point of entry by the assailant in relation to Operation Clarity, the murder of Brenda Page on 14th of July, 1978, within 13 Allen Street, Aberdeen. The window being used has been produced using measurements and descriptions obtained as part of the inquiry in 1978. What you're hearing now is the audio of DC Gorman pulling himself up and going sideways through the small upper window of the replica. He does this successfully, if not awkwardly, by putting one leg and arm through first and then pulling his body through sideways. That was uh, one attempt and there were two others, is that correct? There was a few attempts, yes. Yeah. They showed the two other attempts, the final one, he stopped at the point where his head and most of his body were through the other side. And on that occasion, did, did you get through? I, I think it would have been possible to fall through, yes. it, but um, there was no mat or anything like that, so we, yeah. we stopped at that point. Okay. DC Gorman confirmed he obtained a DNA sample from Dr Harrison on the day of his arrest, March 17th, 2020 and arranged for his solicitor to be present for the police interview, which was recorded on video and led by his colleague. Kit Harrison was then charged with Brenda's murder. Describe for us the circumstances when Mr Harrison was charged. He was reminded he was under caution again. And he didn't have to say anything in response to the charge. And he made a reply. What was the charge? The charge was that he did murder uh, Brenda Page. What was his reply? I did not murder Brenda Page. The reconstruction that we watched in connection with the, the window, you didn't have to open the window? No. You didn't have to, with some kind of implement, cause perhaps 30 or more notches in the window to get it open? No. A and you didn't have to prise it open in that sense? No. That was already done for you, effectively? Yes. And if you'd had to do those various things, that would presumably have taken a bit of time? Uh, yes and would have potentially caused a bit of noise. Potentially. Your entry in through the window, were you at that for the best part of half an hour? Yes. 
did you get through straight away? No. Once you knew the way, the correct way of getting in, it, it wasn't a problem. How long did it take you to know the correct way of getting in? It was, like I say, maybe a few goes, half a dozen goes, potentially. Right. Which, if you were doing that, might attract attention from people if it wasn't in a police storeroom or whatever it was you did it in. That's correct. You, I take it, back in 2000, was it 2019? 19, yes. Uh, and indeed, perhaps now, you would presumably consider yourself to be quite a fit young man. Fit, not young, maybe. Not young. <laughs> well, I suppose it depends where you're standing. But uh, I take it you go to the gym and things like that, do you? Yes, I was there this morning. Say that again, sorry? I was there this morning. Yeah. So, fit... Maybe not so young. How old are you? 45. Oh. So you'd have been, what, early 40s? 41? That's correct. Fit man, climbing in the window, managing it after maybe half a dozen attempts in the way that the ladies and gentlemen have seen. Yes. Thank you. They concluded for the day, and the following morning, A.D. Alec Prentice informed the court there had been a second agreed minute of evidence, which would be read to the court later. The first witness of day six was 75-year-old former superintendent Brian Bryce, who retired after 30 years service. He was a DC when he interviewed Alexander Watson on the 17th of July, 1978, the statement of which he was asked to read out. My stepson, Kenneth Hutchin, resides at 10 Mile Lane Place, Aberdeen, and about 7.30pm, I drove my wife to 10 Mile Lane Place, Aberdeen, to babysit while Kenneth and his wife went out shopping. I left my wife at 10 Mile Lane Place, Aberdeen, and drove home and returned to Mile Lane Place about 9.45pm <coughs> and left again with my wife a few minutes later. I particularly remember that Mr. Harrison's car was not outside his home when I arrived first that evening, and it still was not there when I arrived and left at 9.45 p.m. This was unusual for this car not to be there. I later gave the foregoing statement. Right. Now, there's not a date referred to in the statement, is that correct? That's correct, right. yes. What, what was the nature of your inquiry with Mr Watson? I, I really can't remember. In relation to the inquiry itself, you've told us this was an inquiry into the death of Brenda Page, is that correct? That's correct. Right. Uh, what, what was it that you were interested in, in investigating? To find out who was responsible. Yeah, but were there particular days or dates that you had an interest in? Just the, uh, the, the, the date and time it was unaccounted for from the time that Miss Page was last seen alive and when she was found dead. Now there's reference uh, to Mr Harrison in this statement, 
Was this a pointed inquiry by you about Mr. Harrison? I had been allocated this inquiry, um, and, but I can't rec recollect why that particular one. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Bryce, during the inquiry, were you asked to carry out all sorts of tasks? Yes. And amongst those tasks, did that involve interviewing people who potentially might be of interest to the police in their inquiry? Yes. Uh, and that would effectively be, certainly at times, to exclude them from the inquiry. To eliminate them from the inquiry, yes. Exactly. Yes. A better word. To eliminate them from the inquiry. In addition to that, were you involved at one time in somebody preparing an e-fit of a suspect? No, I wasn't. Were you involved at times in comparing that e-fit to certain people? Yes. Uh, at the time... Did you consider that the EFIT actually seemed to uh, be similar to a serving police officer? It was. One of the people who'd attended at the scene? As I understand it, yes. Thank you very much. This was a bit of a curveball. Until this point, there'd been no mention of an EFIT or it resembling a police officer. The defence didn't need to prove or explain any of this further but it had been said in court and noted by the jury. The next witness was Andrew Gibb, age 46, and a serving forensic scientist with 18 years' experience. Could you outline the nature of the work that you do in general terms, please? Yes, of course. So we get a case arriving at the laboratory. There's a certain situation as um, alleged to have happened, and we will assess the case, certain um, items will be sent to us and we will decide what examinations to take place. We will instruct those examinations. We will make sure the examinations happen correctly. We will get the results from those examinations. We will make interpretation and report back either to the police or to the procurator fiscal. Thank you. Are you employed by the Scottish Police Authority? I am, yes. What is that? It's... a uh, an org umbrella organisation that includes all of the public-funded forensics that occurs in Scotland. When you uh, carry out work, do you later compile a report setting out what you have done and what, if any, conclusions can be drawn? Yes, if the work is to be discussed in court, we always produce a joint report. Uh, have you uh, conducted a fair number of investigations applying your forensic science techniques? Yes, uh, many. I know the number of court reports I've produced is over 600. I don't know the exact number, but and not every case would become a report. No. And have you given evidence in court before? Yes. Although employed by the Scottish Police Authority, are you an independent scientist? Yes, our task is to make uh, impartial observations, but part of that is we are told of an allegation and we're also told of any defence position. Now, could you have before you please Crown Production 288? Is that a report uh, by you and a colleague, Kenneth Brown, also a forensic scientist? Yes, it is. And is this report uh, a report of work that you did 
concerning the reinvestigation by Police Scotland into the death of Brenda Page. Yes, it is. Were you given information about the nature of the inquiry by the police? And if you look at page two. Yes. Before we go to the detail of this, I'd like to deal with some technical issues, first of all. And I think you set these out on page 17 of your report, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I will come to the detail of your work with reference to your report shortly, but could you give us a broad outline of what it is you did in this case? Okay, so uh, we were given, um, well, my colleagues, um, Christopher Canacliffe and Linda Muckersey, who produced their own report, um, worked in a, an arena called general biology, which doesn't include DNA, so they submitted samples for DNA, um, and we got the raw results and interpreted those results um, and reported those results to my, my colleagues Christopher and Linda. But also in this case, there were some DNA results that had occurred at the laboratory in 2002 to 2005. So we reviewed those DNA results, made sure that they were corroborated DNA results and incorporated those into our report so we could report back to our colleagues as well. Now, you referred to a term there, DNA, and it, it may be that's a term which is well known, but perhaps not always fully understood. Could you explain to the members of the jury what you mean by that? Of course. DNA is a hereditary substance. It's in the cells of our body, and it instructs our bodies how to make proteins, and it influences how we look, how we behave, uh, and so on. And we get half of our DNA from our mother and half of it from our fathers. On occasions, can DNA be transferred by direct contact? Yes, it can, yes. Could you explain how that might happen? So, for example, if somebody held a hammer or a screwdriver, their DNA could transfer to the handle of that item um, directly, and that's what we would call direct DNA uh, transfer. It could also be... A body fluid, for example, if your hand was wet with blood and you touched something, you would transfer the blood rather than just cellular DNA, and it could be semen and so on. Are you familiar with the term secondary transfer? Yes, I am. Please explain what that means. So secondary transfer would be if I shook um, my friend's hand and he went and touched the screwdriver or the hammer, and my DNA would then be on the hammer or the screwdriver's handle, even though I'd never directly touched it. That's what we refer to as indirect transfer. When DNA is detected on a surface, is there any way of determining when the DNA was deposited? It depends on the nature of that DNA. If it's something like the, a screwdriver handle, hammer handle, um, there isn't really a way. It could be there stable if the item wasn't used after that item, it would be there stable for a long time if the item was dry and the conditions were right. Um, but if there's a body fluid involved, we would know at least um, that the DNA had been there since the item was last washed, for example. If DNA is deposited, for example, on a sheet, uh, could that remain there for a very long time? It could if the conditions were right, yes. Uh, you mentioned washing. What effect would washing have? So, for example, if we were looking at semen, there's a chemical screen for semen, 
and it would show up to us as a color change. That chemical screen would only work um, to the point that the item was last washed. So if that item was washed, that chemical would be washed away. It's water soluble. So just to understand that, if semen is deposited on a sheet and the sheet is subsequently washed, would you have any expectation of detecting the semen? We'd have no expectation of detecting semen by the chemical screen, but there could still be sperm inside the material. For example, sometimes in an allegation of a sexual offence, um, if swabs weren't taken from the female complainer uh, and her underwear was washed, we might still cut out the crotch of the underwear because you might get um, sperm from vaginal drainage trapped in the weave, even though the underwear might have been washed. If, taking the sheet example, if the sheet were washed once and then washed a second time, would that diminish the prospects of recovery? Well, each time the item was washed, there would be a chance for the DNA to be lost, yes. Okay. I'm going to pause here because we're about to do a deep dive into the forensic evidence found on the bed sheets and minute traces which could link Kit Harrison to the murder scene. But let's not forget, he too was a scientist and a bizarre explanation was soon to come. In the next episode of the storyteller Naked Villainy, Kit's sperm is detected on Brenda's blood-soaked duvet in sheets. The sperm fraction was analysed and the partial SGM plus DNA profile obtained matched the corresponding DNA types of the SGM plus profile of Christopher Harrison. A damning conclusion in the forensic report. No DNA attributable to anyone other than Christopher Harrison or Brenda Page was detected in any of the samples tested and detailed in this report. and the defence attempt to cast doubt on the results. There was other detectable DNA, but we don't know from whom it came. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review as it makes a huge difference to guiding people to hearing this important story. This is an entirely independent production and your support is greatly appreciated. And if you want to hear exclusive interviews, longer episodes and insights, please head to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. This is a piece of history and you are for the first time in this format witnessing justice being done. <laughs>